Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Cargo Margo. This is a place where we talk about all things entrepreneurship, supply chain, and sales. It's a place where I interview industry experts from around the world, and we dive deep into their experiences as industry leaders. That way you can learn more and hopefully a couple hacks before the end of the show. Today's special guest is Josh Kramer. And he's special because he's basically helping companies understand and mitigate risk uh, relative to supply chain uh, cybersecurity. And so we're really excited to dive deep into how you can understand and mitigate that risk. So give a warm welcome to Josh. Hi, Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Margo. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Where are you streaming from? I am based uh, out of outside the Washington, D.C. area. So I'm in the Virginia side of the DMV, as we call it. Wow. Beautiful. And it's sunny here in Los Angeles, California. We had a warm Christmas, which was nice. I hope you enjoyed your holiday as well. I did. Definitely not as warm as your Christmas, but it was still nice to have, uh, have, have some time off. Wonderful. So let's kind of dive into it. You know, there's so many things that come to my mind when I think of cybersecurity. And some of that is good, some of it is bad. Let's just start off and get into the nitty gritty. What are a couple stories that you could share with us where people failed to be proactive and to protect their technology and unfortunately there was some trouble ahead? Yeah, absolutely. And, and great point, you know, cybersecurity I feel really branches across a lot of different aspects. Um, what I focus specifically on is third-party risk. Um, the, the, the organizations, whether they're in your supply chain or they're in your portfolio or they're vendors you work with, a lot of those organizations have access to critical information about your business. Um, so having them as an organization that's part of your ecosystem that isn't secure lends you to be more vulnerable to you know, criminal, act, criminal activities or, or nation-state actors, things like that. So what we do is, is we look at, again, these supply chains and portfolios for organizations to find vulnerabilities within these suppliers. Um, right when you mentioned you know, a few of the, the kind of horror stories, I wouldn't say that they're horror stories, I'd say, and I guess if you're a cyber listener, you're like, they're all horror stories, but there's a lot of organizations that make up these um, supply chains. Think of you know, your manufacturing a car or a plane, um, or you've got a portfolio of companies that provide you some small components and widgets a lot of these are medium to smaller size companies that don't have an IT footprint or a large IT infrastructure in the organization that are just really focused on manufacturing what they do well and getting it out the door. Uh, but the challenge with that is a lot of these organizations provide critical components that roll up to a bigger car or plane or whatever the case may be. Um, and that leaves them open to um, ransomware attacks and things like that. We actually had one organization over the past month in a supply chain they actually had their information stolen from them and put on a, on, on, a, on a dark web website for sale. And the ransomware company or organization was so amateur, they forgot to tell the supplier that they sold the data from. So for us, we were able to see that their data was exposed and was out there, and then also alert the supplier to say, hey, your information's out there. They were new to us, so we were onboarding them. That's when we picked that up. But they were like, well, we had no idea that that was out there. We had no idea that we were vulnerable. So for us, really making them aware that even if you're providing a small component or you sit in a smaller supply chain, 
you are still part of the cybersecurity posture of a bigger organization or a big manufacturer, whatever the case may be. Uh, Josh, so I said there's a big learning curve. Yes. And let me let me ask you. So you mentioned your manufacturers, your importers, but it, it could be a startup, right? So you uh, created this product you're super excited about, you're importing it. So you don't necessarily have to be a larger player, correct? Absolutely. That's a that's a great point. So even even if you're a smaller organization working with many times a bigger organization, they might be vulnerable as well. So absolutely, Margaret. Okay. Okay. No, and then let me let me ask you. So you mentioned dark web and vulnerability. How do you explain this when you find there are sensitivities within someone's network? How how do you explain that to someone just in case because there may be some people in our audience that are not familiar with the dark web? Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to looking at organizations, there are tools out there, and, and we're one of them, um, that we provide a, a tool plus a managed service on top. They're able to scan an organization's internet-facing assets. So think of things like software as a service, your email, things like that that are internet-facing. That are typically uh, an adversarial actor or criminal organization has visibility to, right? They're looking at you as you know, what can I exploit here? Is it poor email hygiene? Is it an open port? What here can I exploit to get in there and set up my, you know, malicious material or set up, you know, put them under a ransomware? What can I steal? So for us as an organization, we look at the, all the, uh, the suppliers and the, and the companies within the portfolio. We look at their internet-facing assets as well. We subscribe to very uh, large data sets, proprietary data sets, um, things like that that give us access to view these organizations as an adversary would. Um, and what we're able to do is again, scan those for those weak links. Uh, we like to call them open doors. Where are the open doors inside your business that someone could exploit? And then most importantly, how can we fix that? Is there a patch? Is there a port that needs to be closed? And for us, we push that to the supplier so they can take the action. Um, does, that, does that make sense, Margaret? Did I explain that well enough for the audience? It, it does. And let me ask you what happens, right? Because there may be people that say, no, this really isn't for me. I'm a smaller player. I partner with larger organizations that have the infrastructure, the capabilities, the security. But what if that's just an assumption, right? So you have two companies that have these internet facing assets and they have open doors and poor email hygiene. Is that catastrophic? Could that have an effect when you have both entities operating like that? Absolutely. And I feel like it rolls both upstream and, upstream and downstream. You know, you might be the organization that's procuring from another business. Um, them being vulnerable exposes you and vice versa. So if you don't have the infrastructure set up, um, you also expose them. So I say it's a two-way street. Um, both, you know, both organizations need to have that posture in place. And when working with us, many of the many of the times they do, they're like, look at us, plus look at our supply chain. It's kind of a practice what you preach, especially for organizations that are tasking us to work with these businesses in their supply chain. They want to say, hey, we're as secure as you. You need to work with this organization we're using to take action. Here's why. And it becomes a much easier conversation. They're like, that makes sense. Uh, but you're right. Some large organizations are like, we've got everything taken care of cyber. Uh, we become kind of a bonus for them. You know, it's like, hey, I understand you've invested heavily in your infrastructure, but here's three open ports. We just want to make you aware of it. They might have a reason for having them open. They might have integrations set up, whatever the case may be. But we want to flag that not only for them, but for our customers. So the customer's aware of it. So if there is an incident, they can kind of source of truth map back and say, hey, this is a reason why we had services for whatever the case may be. 
and you didn't take action or you didn't take action for this reason. We want to have that two-way street, two-way communication to make sure that vulnerabilities are addressed on both sides. I like that open maps, it, you know, that fosters accountability and that transparent communication that you mentioned. I, that's really, that's really cool. There are a lot of moving parts here, Josh, and they're always changing. So how are you staying current and up to speed, right? Because if there's people out there that are 24 seven looking at ways to hack into an organization and get that information. I mean, you guys are probably working 24 seven as well. Absolutely, and so that's a great point. You know, you have to continually evolve to the threat landscape. Um, there's always, to your point, there's always adversaries that want to stay, you know, many months ahead of us, um, whether it's in, 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 in the fact that they're able to find an exploitation on a vulnerability from say a Microsoft or a Log J4 or whatever the case may be. They want to find that and find those in those suppliers. So for us, it's very important for us to have that human in the loop. Our tools do the work, you know, AIML tools doing data collection, the scanning, but it's very important to have the human in the loop that's looking at the risk events being surfaced, understanding where the patterns are, and then being able to take action across the entire supply chain or portfolio. So you're absolutely right. And then for us, that's why it's so important to not only be happy with the tools you have in place, but also look at them and say, what can we do better? And for us, we deploy a 24 seven, what we call a rock model or a risk operations center very similar to a, a SOC or a SOC 2 security operations center where around the clock across the globe, we're looking at those vulnerabilities and getting ahead of them um, and making sure that we're matching that evolving threat landscape. But you're right, it is constantly changing, constantly evolving, and it's important to treat it as, you know, kind of good enough never is, right? It's like, yes, we've done a good job now. What can we do different to get ahead of it? Threat landscape, oof, it gives me the chills, but it's it's important. It's important to be able to look and see what you're working with and also reflect back to make any changes. How are you staying current in the industry? Do you listen to any podcasts? Are you reading any books? Anything that you might've listened to recently or read recently that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, great question. I would say I spend a lot more time on social, learning stuff kind of on the fly, like whenever I'm working through things and I kind of need a break, you know, say it's the last 10 minutes of an hour, whatever the case may be, I'll pull up a LinkedIn uh, or a Twitter. And there's some good folks that I follow that uh, unfortunately I don't have with me right now that I, I, I should have. Uh, but they help me, you know, both visualize things with whether it's supply chain or cybersecurity, or really importantly, what I found most valuable most recently is communicating internally. Um, you know, everyone's got their own internal processes in place, but it's also really important of how you communicate across business units and business functions um, and really kind of relaying what your tools are telling you and what a service like mine is telling you. Um, so I really like to read across that because when I talk to new customers or current customers, I need to know their business. You know, I can't come in and just say, everyone does it this way, everyone does it that way. It's very important that I can understand them and that I can relay what we do in a way that they can take action. So I'd say I spend a little bit more on socials than I should probably should spend it more on in books, but my social time is spent following people that are constantly ahead of that, you know, threat landscape and learning and kind of teaching back to folks like me. I appreciate that vibe, Josh. I am also a big social person and consume a lot of content from people that are boots on the ground. And yep. I appreciate that. So how did you get into this industry? 
is it something that you always knew that you wanted to, hey, I wanted to get into IT, I'm a tech person, I'm into cybersecurity, or did you kind of find yourself stumbling into it? Yes, I'd say I kind of stumbled into it. Um, I knew the leadership of the company that I work at now. Um, they were acquired by a bigger company that was doing cybersecurity. Um, it always interested me, but it was kind of like that black hole, right? I just hadn't spent much time in cybersecurity. I knew a little bit about supply chain, um, but I was interested in the role with the company and where the company was going. So um, I stumbled into it, but I was very fortunate to have a lot of really smart folks to learn from. So when I started, it was, you know, who runs the risk operations center? Um, who does the supply chain, you know, business and operational side? And really taking the time to, to kind of sponge off them so I can get up to speed. And then honestly, it's having conversations like this and with, with prospects and customers and things like that, um, because, it's great to know your features and functionality and what, you know, what cyber offering we have, but it's even more important to know what they're looking for and how our, what we do maps to that. So um, I'd say definitely a very quick, I've been here about a year now, very quick learning curve, but fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of smart people um, that don't mind sharing their insight and don't mind kind of give me a 101 to hopefully I'm a, I'm a 201 these days, um, really <laughs> helping me understand what we're supposed to like, what the cyber landscape looks like. You know, I look back and I think about my journey to Josh and mentorship is, well, it plays a huge role in my journey. And so those that took the time to mentor me and teach me about the industry, you know, the boss I have now is, I'd consider him a mentor. He's been a, just a fabulous uh, person to learn from, a plethora of knowledge, and they changed your life. You know, I Absolutely. mean, it, it diverted your course. Absolutely. <laughs> So let me ask you some more personal questions. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, my biggest pet peeve, I would say, is uh, I'd probably say punctuality and preparedness for meetings. Uh, I had a great, to your point, I had a great mentor when I was first out of grad school. Um, and he said, don't ever put anything on my calendar that doesn't have a description and an idea of what I'm walking into. Um, and, you know, make sure if you're asking someone for their time that you're there earlier than them. Um, so I took that, you know, as a young, you know, postgrad, uh, you know, student of, of business and where I was, um, but I've kind of carried that along the way. Um, and I, it's probably just my own quirk, uh, but I am very big on making sure that, you know, if we're meeting, there's a reason why we're meeting and you know, you can prepare on your end before we meet. Uh, and then second, I'm very respectful of time. Um, and I, I would hope that, you know, the folks around me are as well. So probably old school pet peeves that, that, you know, people are like, oh, you know, it's, it's not a big deal anymore. But for me, um, those are definitely the things that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on. It's a big deal for me, Josh. I, you know, you can't buy more time. It's absolutely so important, our time and to be able to respect another's time. And so I, I, I completely agree with you on, on that one. It's really important. And to have an agenda, right? You, and to stick to the agenda, it just feels comfortable. Absolutely. So who is your favorite relative? Who's my favorite relative? Is this the time when I talk about my wife? I, I don't know. Probably my <laughs> wife. Uh, Ty for first is my son. Um, you know, they're, they're where I spend all my free time outside of work. Um, and I've had, you know, great, uh, you know, great dad, great grandparents, things like that, that I've, uh, uh, that I learned from along the way. So my wife will be happy that I, I plugged her. That's really sweet. No, it's very thoughtful. I like that Thank answer. You. Okay. So what does your morning routine look like? So this is a little bit of personal, a little bit of professional. 
uh, anything that you do or you make sure you do every single day, what's the first, like, what's the first thing you do? I know a lot of people say, don't check your phone. I do. Can't help it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a morning person. So luckily, you know, I'm a morning person, not because everyone on social tells you to be a morning person. Um, I worked some jobs back in the day for, you know, PepsiCo where I had to work at like 4 a.m. So I just kind of got in the group of being a morning person. I definitely wake up later these days. Um, but first is, is getting my son off to school. And that takes me to about seven o'clock in the morning. Um, then I try to read because it kind of lets me, um, settle in for the day, kind of gets my brain going. And then yes, Margo, in between getting my son going and reading, I'm absolutely checking my phone. Ideally not emails because then I start to find myself skipping the reading piece <laughs> and I'm kind of getting into work. Um, but I like to read first. It kind of sets, sets the tone. I learn something and then I can start my day. Um, I usually try to squeeze in a workout, but I'd be lying to you if I said I hit that every day. Um, and then I usually, you know, start in the office at a, about 8, 8, 8, 30, um, because I like to kind of get ahead. And people say, oh, so you get ahead of the day. Lots of the time, it's to finish off things that I should have done yesterday that I kind of packed it in a little <laughs> bit early. Um, so that puts me in a good spot. But yeah, that's typically my morning routine. Nice. The early bird does get the worm, Josh. If you yep. could eat one meal... If you had to choose a meal to eat the rest of your life every single day, what meal would that be? And you don't have to cook it. No, oh, that's fantastic. I'm a, I'm a poor cook, so uh, that's good. I, I'll be honest. I, you can't miss with pizza. You know, I can eat pizza, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't know, maybe because my son's 12 and sometimes we do. Um, yeah. So I've got a lot of reps doing it. But I figure if I've got to eat it every time, i got to think of all three meals of the day. And I, I can see myself eating that all three meals of the day. What what toppings do you like? I'm usually a sausage and peppers person. Sometimes a mm. sausage and pepperoni, uh, but it's also the audience around me. You know, if everyone's like, oh, I don't want that, then I'm perfectly fine with cheese or pepperoni. That's so cool. Okay, and so our last question: If you could play one song every time you walked into a room, what song would that be? Ooh, that is a good one. Uh, I don't know if I have an answer for that. Not without, uh, yeah, I don't know if I have an answer for that. It's uh, hard. I know for me, like, it just depends on my mood, and I'm so moody, so every day that changes, but Yeah, absolutely. Is. I don't know if I can narrow it down to a song, but I like anything that has a consistent beat to it that can kind of match, like, your pulse of whatever you're working on. So I listen to music a lot when I'm working out in front of my computer. Um, so anything that really has a good beat to it, that can keep me engaged so I can focus. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be on Cargo Margo. Josh, where can our audience find you? What's the best way that we can connect with you? Absolutely. And I appreciate you having me on here, Margo. I'd say the best way to connect with me um, is on LinkedIn. I'm Josh Kramer with, uh, you know, I look the same way, you know, on uh, LinkedIn as I do in person. So that's probably the best representation. Uh, but I also, you know, I'm always available by email, um, you know, Josh at Bluevoyant. B-L-U-E-V-O-Y-A-N-T.com. Um, and that is open for not just business stuff. If there's, you know, supply chain stuff or best practice stuff, I welcome those conversations. I think people sometimes take LinkedIn too formal. Um, I'd love to chat and learn because, again, as I said in the beginning, this is a great opportunity for me to learn. So um, definitely LinkedIn. I'd probably lead there. Um, and then from there, you know, we'd map it back to any other channel that you're most comfortable with. Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you guys for our audience. Uh, please go ahead and check out my profile and you'll see what's coming up next week.